Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 14. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord, made, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. The Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden... He placed a cherubim, a flaming sword that turned, away, that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of God this evening. As we uh, head into another Advent season, uh, it's my hope tonight to focus our hearts and our souls and minds upon the truth of why we, as the people of God, take time every year to remember and reflect upon the great event of the eternal Son of God becoming God incarnate, God in the flesh. Why is it that we as the people of God remember the first advent, the first coming, the first arrival of Jesus Christ in this world? We are all familiar, I'm sure, with the fairly cheesy saying, Jesus is the reason for the season. And it is a cheesy saying, but it is a true saying. It's the truth. But the phrase has become so uh, used and misused and so often stated without any real thought at all to what it really means. People just walk around and seem to say, Jesus is the reason for the season. I was curious. I went on Amazon. I just typed the phrase in. You'd be amazed at the amount of products that are being marketed and sold to people with that little slogan on it. For only $100, you can buy a Christmas wreath on Amazon that says, Jesus is the reason for the season. If I were to ask most people what that phrase means, I think most people would generally give me uh, a, a good answer. Many people, whether they're Christians or not, would say, oh, it's, it's one we remember that baby Jesus was born in the manger. I think that's the answer many people would say. But what if I followed it up with another question? What if I followed up the question of what does Jesus is the reason for the season means, what if I followed that question up with the question of 
So why? Why did Jesus come? Why is his coming so important? So important that really the entire world celebrates this holiday that we today call Christmas, whether they, again, are Christian or not. Most, I would venture to guess, probably an overwhelming amount of people across this globe celebrate this holiday. So if I ask why did Jesus come, I wonder what kind of answers I would get then. Most of all, I wonder what kind of answers I'd get if I asked professing Christians that question. Why did Jesus come? And that's really what I want us to focus on tonight. And not just tonight, beloved, but really I want to encourage you all to focus on the why of the, the why uh, for why Jesus came into this world. Focus on it throughout this Advent season. I want us to have a much deeper understanding of this phrase, Jesus is the reason for the season. And to gain understanding tonight, we're going to go back, as I said, to the beginning, the beginning of the Bible, the beginning of the entire creation. And I think most of us are familiar with the creation account, what happens in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, leading up to the passage we read tonight, how God created all things out of nothing, And then in a special act of creation, he created man, male and female, after his own image. And he placed them in a garden in a land called Eden. And then God blessed them. And how did God bless them? Genesis 1 says God blessed Adam and Eve by giving them work, tasks to do. They were told to be fruitful and multiply to work the land and subdue it, to have dominion over all the creatures. And God gave them every plant and fruit for food, except for the fruit of one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God told them not to eat of that tree, and the day they ate of it, they would surely die. But every other tree in all creation, they could eat from And so mankind, Adam and Eve, lived in the Garden of Eden and they have what the the Hebrew language calls shalom. Now shalom we often think of as the word peace. And many times in English the word peace just simply means a lack of conflict. If we have peace, we are satisfied that nobody's firing missiles at each other. The idea of shalom is much more encompassing than that. It's not just a lack of conflict. Shalom means harmony, fellowship, communion. And Adam and Eve, before the fall, lived in the Garden of Eden, and they had perfect shalom. Shalom with God. Shalom with one another. And shalom with the creation itself. The land, the animals, the birds, the fish... The world, as they knew it, was truly a paradise. And there they would walk with God Himself in the garden, in the cool of the day. The Garden of Eden, you have to understand, it truly was the temple of God. It was the dwelling place of God here on earth. It was His earthly sanctuary where He lived among His people. And then we come to Genesis 3. 
And this, of course, is when it all comes crashing down. The chapter begins with the serpent coming to Eve, and he tempts her to eat of the forbidden tree. The one tree in the whole of creation, he tempts her to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, let me just note, we have no idea here in Genesis 3 if the serpent came to Eve in the form of a talking snake. That's usually how our children's Bibles depict that. But we do know who the serpent is. The serpent is Satan, the devil. He is described, Satan is described from Genesis to the end of Revelation as the ancient serpent or the great dragon. And so it's Satan who comes to Eve, tempts her to sin. She in turn tempts her husband, Adam, and he too sins. And because Adam was not merely acting for himself, but was instead the representative for the entire human race, all of humanity, and the entire creation itself is then thrown into sin and death. Mankind and the creation, God's good creation, is now cursed. And everyone who would be born after Adam and Eve, apart from Christ Jesus, everyone who would be born after them would inherit a corrupt nature. They would inherit Adam's guilt and everyone, including you and me, would be born spiritually dead. The evidence of that, of course, is easy to see. Because ever since this event that we call the fall in Genesis 3, we all have been sinning and rebelling against God ever since. And so we come to our passage tonight, Genesis uh, 3, verse 14. This text is where God now pronounces His divine, righteous, just judgment upon both the human race and upon the serpent. And what I want us to do tonight is look at these curses that are found, these three curses that are found in this portion, and I want us to see how everything, everything that was good in this world, good in God's creation, is now ruined by the fall of man. How shalom with God is now broken. How shalom with one another is now broken. How shalom between us as human beings and the creation itself is now broken. If we are going to understand the reason why Jesus came, we have to see and we have to understand this text of Scripture tonight, brothers and sisters. So let's actually start as we look at this text. We're going to jump over verses 14 and 15 for now and start in verse 16, the curse pronounced upon the woman. The Lord says to Eve, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Now right away, here's what I want you to notice. God, what God gave to the human race is a blessing. Remember, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. What God gave to the human race as a blessing is now riddled with suffering and pain. The blessing is now tainted, you see. It's still a blessing. Bearing children is still a blessing, but it is a blessing that comes now through pain and suffering. 
And God continues, your desire, now pay attention to this, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Here, the curse pronounced upon the woman, we see very clearly the shalom in our human relationships now because of sin being broken and perverted. We've been talking about this in our Sunday school class in the morning. How when God created the human race, He created man, both male and female, after His own image, with equal dignity, equal worth, equal value, and yet, different. He created us biologically different, but also with different but complementary uh, roles to play. Man was created to provide, protect, given the task to work the land and keep it, and given a priest-like task as well. Meaning, it was Adam who was charged with standing as the spiritual head of his family and ultimately as the covenant representative for the entire human race before the throne of God. Eve, on the other hand, was given as a helper for man. Now that is no small task in and of itself, and it's not a demeaning thing. Yes, the term helper does imply that the wife is to be submissive to the spiritual leadership of her husband, but the word helper does not mean that she is a slave to her husband. In fact, the word is a term that God uses for himself throughout the Old Testament. God describes himself as Israel's helper. We know in the New Testament, what does Jesus call the Holy Spirit? The Helper. And as it pertains to Adam and Eve, the fact is, only man with the help of the woman could have dominion over the creation. Only man with the help of the woman could subdue the earth by producing and raising children. And so in the garden before sin, a human relationship was established in the first marriage between man and woman. The, the man is a spiritual leader and head of the household. The woman is a, is a suitable helper in perfect peace, perfect harmony, perfect shalom between one another. But the woman, designed to be the helper, sinned by becoming her husband's tempter. And now God tells the woman that her shalom with her husband is now broken and perverted. Her desires now would be contrary to her husband's. In other words, there would no longer be a joyful submission to her husband's leadership. She would no longer uh, be a helper, but rather her desire would be contrary to her husband. That phrase means, quite literally, she would desire to consume her husband. And not only that, God says to the woman, the husband would rule over her. Now understand, that rule is not the same as the godly leadership that Adam was tasked with before the fall. Instead, it would be a domineering leadership which would oppress the woman. Shalom, because of the fall, because of sin, was now lost in our human relationships. And then God turns his attention to, to the man, Adam, and he says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of. Now, before I go on to the next part, notice 
what God said Adam's sin was. He listened to the woman. His sin was a massive failure to be the leader he was called to be. He should have intervened. He should have led, not allowed himself or his wife to be tempted into sin in the first place, and certainly not allowed his wife to tempt him. Because of that sin, because of his failure there, God says, curse is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Notice in the curse that what was a blessing is now tainted with pain and sorrow. God gave work to Adam as a blessing. Remember Genesis 1. He blessed them and said, work the ground. He gave him the work of subduing the earth and having dominion over the creatures. And the ground would provide food for him. Now, work has become labor. Hard labor. And while work is still a blessing for us today, beloved, just like childbearing, is still for many a blessing, it is now filled with suffering and pain. What was created to be pure joy now becomes burdensome for mankind. And we see that mankind has now lost shalom between himself and the creation. The ground, which was supposed to provide uh, substance for mankind, becomes hostile. Man would have to fight off thorns and thistles so as to force the ground to produce food. What was originally given to man, what man was originally supposed to have dominion over, now becomes a hostile wilderness which would not easily be tamed. And ultimately, because of man's sin, the earth would swallow up man in death. God's good creation would become a tomb for the bodies of sinful, rebellious mankind. Shalom between man and God's good creation in the fall and in the curse is now broken. And worst of all, we see shalom between God and man. Shalom between God and man completely broken. It's made clear for us in verse 24 when God casts mankind out of the Garden of Eden, out of his own earthly temple. No longer would man be able to dwell in the presence of the Holy God. No longer could the Holy God make his dwelling place among unholy men. That which is holy cannot and will not tolerate the presence of that which is not holy. We, beloved, were no longer fit to be in the presence of the Holy One. And so mankind was banished from the presence of God and cut off from eating the tree of life. Eternal life, lived in perfect joy and harmony with God, is no longer ours because of sin. That is what sin has done. Shalom. Peace and harmony with God. Shalom in our earthly relationships. Shalom with the creation itself. In the fall, it was all lost. And the question is why? Simply because man ate a piece of fruit? Some people hear this and think, really? Is this all it took 
to rouse God to anger? Isn't God overreacting here a little bit? Someone once asked that question to the theologian R.C. Sproul. The person asked, since God is slow to anger and patient, why was his wrath in the fall so severe and long-lasting? And here's how R.C. Sproul answered the question. He said, this creature from the dirt dared to defy the everlasting holy God. After God had said, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And instead of dying that day, he lived another day and was clothed in his nakedness by pure grace and had the consequences of a curse applied for quite some time, but the worst curse would come upon the one who seduced him, whose head would be crushed by the offspring of the woman. And the punishment was too severe? And then R.C. Sproul famously asked, what is wrong with you people? He said, this is what is wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is, and we don't know who we are. The question is, why wasn't the curse... I'm sorry. The question becomes, why wasn't the curse infinitely more severe? If we have any understanding of our sin, any understanding of who God is, that's the question. And Sprawl hit the nail right on the head. It was not simply eating a piece of fruit. It was a creature from the dirt daring to defy the everlasting holy God. And that is why God cursed the human race. And beloved, every time we sin, whether it is in our thoughts, our words, our deeds, no matter how quote-unquote small the sin is, it is a creature from the dirt daring to defy the holy God. And yet, in his answer, R.C. Sproul hit on something so incredibly vital for us to understand. He said the worst curse will come upon the serpent himself. As bad as the curse is against the human race, the worst comes to the serpent. So let's look at verses 14 and 15, the curse upon Satan. Verse 14 says, Cursed are you above all livestock, And above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now this curse is using some serious imagery here. Imagery which we today closely associate with snakes. And it is doing that to show us the severity of the curse. First, Satan would be confined to crawl on his belly. And the imagery there is one of utter disgrace. Satan would go forth in complete and utter shame. Then he would be forced to eat dust, symbolizing personal and long-lasting humiliation. That the devil would eat dust all the days of his life, it shows us that this curse is everlasting. Everlasting humiliation. And then in verse 15, God says that the serpent would face ultimate destruction in the most humiliating of ways. Through the seed, the offspring of the woman. The one whom the serpent thought he had victory over in the garden. God says he will put enmity, that is strife, between the serpent and the woman. And don't miss what that means, beloved. God is saying really that from that point forward in human history, there will be two classes of human beings. There will be the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. 
And really, when you read the entire Old Testament, if you would remember that, that from the point of the fall forward, there are two basically main branches of humanity, the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. If you would read the entire history of the Old Testament through that lens, the Old Testament will begin to make much more sense to you because the Old Testament really is the story of the offspring of the serpent attempting to destroy the offspring of the woman. And God, time and time again, preserves the offspring of the woman. And why would the offspring of the serpent seek to destroy the offspring of the woman? Because of what God says next in Genesis 3.15. He says, He, the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now the word bruise in Hebrew is very interesting because it doesn't just mean a black and blue mark that we get when we get punched. It actually means to grip hard. God tells the devil he will grip hard the heel, the heel of the offspring of the woman. But the seed of the woman would grip hard, so hard to the point of actually crushing the serpent's head. It would be through the offspring of the woman that the serpent would ultimately be thrown down and crushed. And now, beloved, we come to the heart of the whole issue. Because right here in the middle of God declaring a curse on the serpent, He declares His wonderful grace and His plan of salvation. Genesis 3, verse 15 is what theologians call the Proto-Evangelion. And I'm sure I'm not saying that right. There's like a million ways to pronounce it. That's how I say it. That phrase means the first gospel. In the midst of the serpent's curse, God's grace, the good news of Jesus Christ, is proclaimed. The seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman, would crush the head of the serpent. God was saying in that moment, yes to the serpent, but also to the man and woman, Adam and Eve, that one day, someone born of a woman would come into this world. And while the serpent would bruise his heel, he would ultimately crush his head, destroy the serpent forever. And through that future seed, that offspring of the woman, all the effects of the curse would come undone. Jesus Christ, born of a woman, who at the cross was indeed dealt a blow, a hard blow, but who in death, in His death, and in His burial, and in His resurrection, dealt the fatal, head-crushing blow to the serpent forever. That is who Genesis 3.15 is all about. Beloved, do you understand that? Do you understand that the reason why Christ came was to crush the head of the serpent and undo the curse? Do you realize that Christ came because you and I and the entire human race are wicked, wretched, defiled, rebellious sinners who in our natural state are cut off from God? And we are not at peace with Him or with our fellow mankind or with the creation itself. That is the reason for the season. The reason for the coming of Christ is our sin. The reason Christ came was because of the curse that our sin brought into God's good creation. 
and upon image bearers of God. But also know it is not just our sin. It's not just our sin which is the reason for the season. Because God would have been completely just in leaving us in our state of sin and misery. God is under no obligation to save us from our rebellion, to undo the effects of the curse, and yet He did. Because of His love and His grace towards His people, Jesus came to save. He came to redeem a people for His own possessions. That God Himself came in the flesh and was born of a woman and would have His heel crushed It was because God would not let the devil have the final word. He would not simply hand over His people nor His good creation over to the reign of the serpent. And so He would come. He would destroy the serpent. He would redeem His people. He would restore His good creation. He would come, as Isaac Watts says, to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. That is what Jesus did. The seed of the woman did already in His coming into this world, in His first advent, and in His life and ministry and death and resurrection. This is what Jesus Christ did. Crushed the head of the serpent and now the effects of the curse are becoming undone. In the redeeming work of Christ, All of the curse has been, in a very real sense, and is right now being undone. In Christ and through Christ, man is once again at peace with God. Through repentance and faith in Jesus and through through His cleansing blood, shalom has been restored between us and unholy people and the holy God. In Christ and through Christ, mankind is once again at peace with one another. Shalom has been restored in our human relationships. We who receive Christ by faith, we're not individual Christians. We are part of one body now in Christ. One people. We're no longer at odds with one another, but through the reconciling blood of Jesus, we are brought together. Despite our differences, we are united in the precious name of Jesus. And yes, beloved, in Christ and through Christ, mankind will again be brought back into shalom with God's good creation. In His resurrection, Jesus already began the work of recreation. It's one of the reasons why we celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday now, because it is the first day of the new creation. The resurrection was the first day of the new creation. In the resurrection of Jesus, the new creation was being inaugurated already. Paul says, Colossians chapter 1, that all things, all things in heaven and on earth are being reconciled by the blood of the cross. And the day will come, a day which we will all, which hopefully we all look forward to, the second advent of Jesus Christ, when he will finish. His work of renewing His good creation. And on that day, beloved, we will, with resurrection bodies, which will never perish, bodies which will never be ruined by sin or by death, 
we will, on the second advent of Jesus, be brought into that renewed creation, a new Garden of Eden, a better Garden of Eden, a garden which encompasses not just a small portion of the land called Eden, but rather encompasses the entire creation itself. And heaven and earth will be brought together forever. An eternal garden will God, where God again will make His dwelling place among us and we will feast upon the tree of life. Revelation 22, verses 1-5. through The Apostle John had a vision of it. He says, And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit for each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This, beloved, is why Christ came. This is why we celebrate the advent of Jesus. He came to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. And understand something, beloved. Revelation 22, it's not just a future hope. It's not just a vision of the coming day of Christ. It's also in many ways a very real, present reality. Christ, the offspring of the woman who came into this world, has already begun this work of reconciliation. Through faith in Christ, you are already drinking the waters, the river of life. Through faith in Christ, you've already been given access to the tree of life. Through faith in Christ, you are no longer accursed. Through Christ, God the Holy Spirit has enthroned Himself in your heart. And you, His, you, His people are a living temple. And you, His servants, worship Him in spirit and in truth. Through Christ, The Lord your God is already your light. Through Christ you are already part of that great communion of the saints which is reigning with Christ right now in heaven. But the day will come, beloved, the second advent of Jesus, when you will see Him not only with eyes of faith, you will see this reality with resurrection eyes. And you will see the very face of God Himself. And all the effects of sin, all the effects of the curse, will be gone forever and ever. That is why Jesus came, beloved, at His first advent. That is why we as God's people celebrate the incarnation of the Word of God. And because we know that the serpent's head has already been crushed in the death and resurrection of Jesus we can have full confidence that Christ will return and Christ will finish this work and we will see it all fully realized and fully consummated. May God give us the grace to persevere to that day. Let's pray together.